After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. I am joined by Kyle Glazer. He was out at the park last night for the thrilling Padres 2-1 to victory over the hated rival Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, it was a great day of baseball. We had three games uh, because of the makeup game from Thursday night. Um, two of the games were incredibly thrilling. Uh, one went into extra innings, the Yankees and the Guardians. But let's start off with the Dodgers and the Padres. You were in the building, Kyle. You've been in the building for some of their uh, heated matchups over the years. So how did this compare? And really, what was you know what was the game like? What was the vibe like? Talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who listens to this podcast knows I grew up in San Diego. I've been going to Padres games since 1997. My family moved there. I went to all the World Series games and playoff games at Qualcomm Stadium in 98. I was nine years old, but I remember how insanely loud the, that those were. I've been going to games at Petco Park since 2004, you know, but first just growing up being a San Diegan and then joining the sports media world and starting to cover that team and, and covered them as a beat writer for two years for my old paper and been there a ton for us at BA. I have never heard Petco Park that loud. That was Wrigley Field Game 3 of the 2016 World Series loud. That was Fenway Park during the 2018 World Series loud. That was Houston during game five of the 2017 World Series loud. It was ear splitting. It was unbelievable. You felt the vibe in downtown San Diego, just driving around and everyone was just so, so, so hyped, especially when the Padres won game two. That completely changed what game three meant. If they were going back down to San Diego, 0-2 would have been like, okay, this is cool, but... We'll see. Now it's like, man, we have a shot going 1-1, coming back home. And you could feel that in the city. It was bedlam last night. It was just absolute madness. And when Blake Snell came back after you know giving up a leadoff uh, single to Mookie Betts, struck out the side in the first inning, all the way through to you know Jake Cronenworth's single and Tony Gonson was struggling, Trent Grisham homered. And then just as the game went on and on and on, and the Padres bullpen again and again and again, held down the Dodgers, worked their way out of some jams, stranded tying runners on, on second and third. It was, it was intense. And then, I mean, when Josh Hader, you know, struck out Trace Thompson, that final fastball, I mean, if there was a roof on the building, it would have blown off. It was, <laughs> it was insane. It, it, it was ear ringing. I mean, that, that's the level I'm in the press box and it was ear ringing. And 
you know, I think I saw some people, I don't think, I, I did see some people like, well, what the heck? They're acting like they just won the World Series. You know, it's one game of the DS, chill. You have to understand, this was the first home playoff game fans have been at at Petco Park since 2006. Jeff, where were you in 2006? I uh, had just started my career after college. I didn't have kids yet. It was 20, uh, 23 years old, so 23, I, I 24 a, years old. I was a senior in high school. I mean, and now look at us, we're suburban dads. Um, you know, it's just, it's been a while. And on top of that, there's just so much pain and angst within the San Diego sports community. I, I wrote about this when Fernando Tatis Jr. signed his contract extension, but it's been a rough couple of years. You know, you had Junior Seau die, Tony Gwynn die, you know, Jerry Coleman die, and then the Chargers left. I mean, there has been so much pain within the San Diego sports community, really over the past decade in particular. And with that, the Dodgers just beating on them again and again and again and again. This is this is almost a catharsis. This is everyone really for the first time since all of this has happened, especially the Chargers leaving, has been able to come together in one location and just let it all out. That's why this is so intense. We even saw it during the 2020 wildcard series against the Cardinals when fans were not allowed in the stands. But downtown San Diego in the middle of a pandemic was raucous. I mean, they had a watch party out in the parking lot and you could hear it. You could hear them when the Padres came back in game two and then bullpen their way for a tense win in game three to beat the Cardinals. I mean, downtown San Diego that night, you would have thought they just won the World Series. And again, it's not because, oh, you know, act like you've been there before. It's because there's just been so much pain within this city. It's all kind of coming out now. People are getting together. They're having a blast. They're having a ball. It was an incredible game. Uh, the Padres bullpen is pitching lights out right now. 15 consecutive scoreless innings in the postseason, dating back to game three of the wildcard series. Uh, they're playing sharp defense. They're playing good baseball all around. They're escaping jams. They're getting timely hits. You can feel it. And now they have hometown kid Joe Musgrove going at home tonight with a chance to clinch. The, the hometown kid came the first pitch to throw a no-hitter in Padres history, who just became a folk hero for everything he did against the Mets, the ear, and all that. And oh, by the way, has been more or less the best pitcher in baseball over the last 30 innings or so, dating back his last five starts, including that postseason start against the Mets. Pecco was insane last night, tonight, a Saturday night, a chance to close up the Dodgers with hometown kid Joe Musgrove on the mound. I mean, it's going to be absolutely insane. Yeah, and I think, you know, the thing that I noticed right off the bat last night when they got to Gonsolin early and, you know, not to not to get down a, a rabbit hole here, but it led to some questions as to why, at least for me, Gonsolin was starting in this spot when you really couldn't trust him to get nine outs where, you know, he hadn't done it. He had pitched once uh, since the late end of August when he went on the I.L. He pitched, what, two innings against the Rockies uh, on October 3rd. Hadn't pitched since. You're now in a situation where you lost this tight ball game. You had to go to your bullpen for, um, what, eight, seven and two-thirds innings last night. Um, and then you're back against their stopper tonight. And, you know, granted, they did have to use their bullpen, but for much, much less outs, of course, because of, you know, the start that you got at a Snell. And, you know, it's kind of funny, as deep and as good as the Dodgers are, it almost feels like to a degree that they painted themselves into a corner here in game four, that if 
Anderson doesn't come out and absolutely shove tonight and they're not able to take this game, um, you know, obviously the series is over, but they have to look back on that decision to start Gonsolin in game three and sort of question whether it was the right move or not, because the chess match behind everything here is always the thing that I find most interesting about playoff games. And they're in a, a much worse position at this moment than the Dodgers are. Dodgers have their stopper go, excuse me, than the, the Padres have. Padres got their stopper going out there. They, they're believing in themselves. They're hitting. Juan Soto, as we talked about, sort of coming into this series is starting to get going a little bit. That's really dangerous if you're the Dodgers, just in terms of the, the confidence and the belief that he can exude within that clubhouse. And I think you really saw it. Um, the Grisham home run, and then the same thing with that Cronenworth home run. Um, you know, he got hit with the right pitch. I mean, that wasn't a bad pitch. It was a splitter down. Um, in game two, you mean Cronenworth's homer? Oh, oh, I was talking about, um, excuse me, not the, Cronenworth uh, 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 had the, the double, didn't he? Uh, RBI uh, single in the first. RBI single. He went out and he hit it for the for the second run. I made a mistake there. With or, the home or, yeah, this was the first run. And then, yeah, exactly. He went out, he went out and got one. It was an 82-mile-per-hour splitter off the plate and just, you know, for, sort of pushed it into the outfield, you know, was able to score that run. And, you know, it just it just felt like, you know, there was a level of belief before, before that, you um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he had actually been 0 for for 10 against um, against uh, Gonsolin going into that into that at bat. So he had never had a hit against Gonsolin. You know, uh, uh, pulls it off a splitter that I said was well executed off the plate and it could count. So um, you know, it's just matter of inches and sort of just executing there on the fringes. So the Padres are in a really good spot. Yeah, I mean, I want to jump in on that. So it was interesting. When I talked about this beforehand, and I, I tweeted out immediately, and Dodgers fans like, what? That's crazy. Starting Tony Gonson last night was a classic case of overthinking their pitching that the Dodgers do all the time in the postseason. So let, let's take a step back. Knowing that Joe Musgrove is going to go game four, no one the Dodgers can throw out, they're going to have an advantage of game four. The way they had to approach the series as soon as it was a 1-1 tie, as soon as the Padres won that game Wednesday, was, okay, if we throw Tyler Anderson against Blake Snell in game three, we will have the starting pitching advantage in game three. We're going to go bullpen game versus Joe Musgrove in game four, or Gonsolin, which is essentially a bullpen game in game four, and that's fine because no matter what we do, the Padres are going to have the starting pitching edge in game four. So let's give ourselves the edge in game three, give us the best chance to go up 2-1 and really come out of this thing 2-2. For the most part, you're probably not going to beat Joe Musgrove in San Diego. You have to know that coming into this. Instead, what the Dodgers did is they forfeited the one game they were going to have a clear starting pitching edge by going with a rusty Tony Gonsolin, knowing that it essentially becomes a bullpen game. Best case scenario, it's a piggyback game with Andrew Heaney against Blake Snell, well, you no longer have the advantage in that starting pitching matchup. Blake Snell is better than a rusty Tony Gonsolin slash bullpen. And then you go to game four, where it's Joe Musgrove versus Tyler Anderson. You don't have the starting pitching edge there. Joe Musgrove is the better starter pitcher right now. So the Dodgers, what they could have done was had the starting pitching edge, a clear advantage in one of these two games. They willfully forfeited that and now have the starting pitching edge in zero of these two games. It just did not do anything to maximize their chances. And people saying, oh, well, you know, I'd rather have Anderson going in case we're down 2-1. The best thing you can do is go up 2-1. Don't put yourself in this position. Do not paint yourself into a corner. And like you said, they did that. They could have had a starting pitching edge in game three. They forfeited it. 
And now they will go into two road games at Petco Park, having the lesser starting pitcher on the mound both games because they chose to strategize that way. It's poor management, poor strategy. And again, they're just putting themselves in a bad spot. And look, to be fair, give the Padres bullpen credit. They yep. shut this Dodgers offense down. They've gone 0 for 17 with runners in scoring position their last two games. That's why the Padres are winning this series. That one decision is not why the Dodgers lost yesterday, but it's the bigger picture of they are continuously failing to put themselves in the best position possible with mm-hmm. their pitching decisions. I just go back to, if it's Anderson Snow game three, you have the edge. By going Gonsolin slash bullpen game game three, you forfeited that edge. And you definitely don't have the edge in game four, no matter who the Dodgers threw out there. Joe Musgrove is going to be the better starting pitcher the way he's throwing right now. It's just, it's just once again, they overthink again and again and again. And at a certain point, it's like, guys, just stop. Put your best guy out there and let them play the game. And the Dodgers do that so well during the regular season and they get to the playoffs. And I don't know if they just pucker up or they try to prove they're smarter than everyone else, but they continue to shoot themselves in the foot. And it's really a shame because they don't need to do this. They can just put their best guys out there. And more often than not, if they do that, they're going to win the ball game. It's when they fail to do that or they overuse their best guys, as we've seen them do with some of their odd bullpen decisions. That's when they lessen their own chances to win and they keep doing it. And they just shake your head at a certain point. Yeah. You know, that's, that's really the thing I wanted to touch on a little bit was uh, just my, my feeling after watching Gonson last night, I think was, was right in line with you. And it was clear that, you know, this certainly, um, you know, gave the Padres an advantage in the, in the, preceding game uh excuse me uh, uh the the corresponding game as well so um that's the dodgers versus the padres um let's jump on to the, ne- the next series here we'll talk a little bit of guardians and yankees i know you saw a little bit of this series before i mean this game before you shot out to the ballpark um you know cleveland came out and had clutch hitting really for <laughs> The first time in the series, um, you know, Yankees took an early two nothing lead. Um, Cleveland comes back in the fourth and fifth to then tie the game. Uh, they go into the 10th inning. They score in the top of the frame um, and they're able to shut down the Yankees. Um, really interesting game Two completely clashing styles in terms of how they sort of attack things offensively. Um, we talk about the Guardians. I think it's just there. We talked about this coming into this series they are just so good at executing situational baseball and they've continued to do that yesterday they finally sort of broke out of this slump uh as tends to happen in the playoffs where they didn't have any two out hits um with runners in scoring position they had those yesterday um being able to execute with runners on really changes the game for them if they're able to do that a few times a game frankly um, their ability to, um, you know, sort of suppress runs and execute defensively in the field, uh, I think really makes them a tough team to come back on, which credit to the Yankees, I believe they had either the first or second most comeback wins of any team in Major League Baseball this season. So it is something they are adept at doing. But, you know, we look at this Cleveland bullpen, um, you know, Trevor Steffen pitched, you know, inning and a half, struck out four against his old club. Um, Karen Jack, you know, has been a little iffy at times in the playoffs. That was a little bit of a rough inning, but they bring in Class A. Class A gives them seven outs (laughs) 
and gets the save and and closes the game down for them um, to earn the victory. So, you know, they have some firepower at the back of the bullpen. We know what they have um, from a starting rotation perspective. This team is really interesting because offensively, they're not your typical playoff team. I think that's probably the best way to put it. So, so what are your thoughts in this series? You know, it's 1-1 now, um, you know, heading to Cleveland. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you have to give this Guardians pitching staff all the credit in the world. Um, Giancarlo Stanton hits that two-run homer in the first inning. The Guardians held the Yankees scoreless the rest of the way. Second inning through the 10th, the Yankees got nothing. Shane Bieber did a really good job locking it down. Then that bullpen does what it does best. So I think anytime you can kind of hold the line like that, you're going to give your offense a chance to come back. And that's what they did. And I go back to what's so good about this Guardians team is they're so well-rounded. They can do so many different things. They can beat you so many different ways. And we saw that last night, you know, fourth inning, it's two nothing. How do they get that first run? Single walk, single next inning, come back. They get the home run again. They can do both. They can win small ball. They can hit big home runs. They can do a lot of different things Two two, And then the 10th inning again, just put the ball in play. Give yourself a chance. I mean, Jose Ramirez is double. It was a pop fly and it fell in. And, you know, we saw some of the Yankees defensive issues that have haunted them in years past come out at the worst time there. Oscar Gonzalez again. I mean, one-two pitch he's caught way out front in that slider was able to keep his hands back and just get the barrel to the ball and with the infield pulled in it falls in again you just give yourself a chance the only hard hit ball that inning was josh naylor he smoked that ball to center field yeah but it just goes back to what i like about the guardians and why we've talked about from our playoff preview podcast they're just so well-rounded they can do so many different things they have guys that can hit a ball 400 feet they can go you know, single walk, single to bring runs home. They can battle. They can fight. And this pitching staff is good enough to hold down any offense. So if they do fall behind or it takes them a while, you know, they can do it. It took them 15 innings to topple the Rays, but the pitching staff held firm until Oscar Gonzalez said, see ya. Mm-hmm. You know, again, same thing yesterday. They fall behind early, but pitching staff holds the line the offense eventually finds a few balls they can they can take advantage of and i think this is a dangerous team um, i picked them to beat the yankees you know going into this and i don't see any reason why they can't do it i mean they have shown yeah they can hold the yankees down they can compete with them and now going home series tied 1-1 um they're they're in good shape i do think this one's going five but yeah the guardians have shown everything that they need to win a playoff series yeah, and uh, you know it's re- it's remarkable. Just Oscar Gonzalez has been <laughs> it's a battle between him and and Trent Grisham for like the most clutch hitter in the playoffs at this moment. But uh, at least Gonzalez was like good during the year. I mean, we talked yeah. about it. Like he, you know, yeah. half a season, a little more than half a season. But I mean, he was Very good. Place. I mean, he two ninety six when he came up. Yep. I had eleven homers in only ninety one games. I mean. If you put this out to a full season, I mean, he basically had a, a season of 20 homers, uh, 80, 80 ribs, you know, hitting 296. People would be like, wow, this guy should be an all-star. I mean, that was the level he was performing at after yep. he came up. Trent Grisham was, I mean, the dude hit a buck 84. And it wasn't even like he did that with, you know, great strikes on discipline and was walk all the time. I mean, he got some walks, but he had a 284 on base. Mm. And a 341 slug. I mean, Trent Grisham was one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball this year. Pick your favorite category. But 
I mean, he has absolutely come alive in the postseason. And again, I think if anyone told you they saw it coming, they were lying to you. Um, yeah. It wasn't even like he like finished really hot the last couple weeks or anything like that. I mean, he was bad from start to finish. So mm-hmm. I I think Grisham kind of wins wins there in terms of uh, you know the more unlikely postseason hero. But you're right. I mean, this goes back to this is a time where guys step up. You know, at this point in the year, you expect the stars to do their part. It's it's who's going to step up and and just go back to the Padres, the bottom of their lineup, all of them. Kim, Nola, Grisham have been unreal. Oscar Gonzalez, who we knew was good, but he stepped up huge. This is the time of year that that teams need that to to move on, and those two teams are getting it. That's why they're they're here. Yeah, and they have a you know a lot of hitters that uh, obviously have the ability to make contact, put the ball in play, um, sort of take what they get from each at bat. And I think uh, that's one of those things that rolls into why they're able to execute so well situationally. But um, that's enough about SpongeBob clutch pants. Don't get mad at me. We're going to take a quick break here. We'll be back with the final game of the day. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, we are back. All right, so this was not a very close ball game, mostly because of an absolutely explosive bottom of the third inning For the Phillies, um, they scored six runs uh, in the bottom of the third. And really, you know, it it never was that close. Uh, Got to six to one. And then uh, they had a three-run inning and and sort of put everything away um, in the seventh. So kind of interesting. But this Phillies team, man, looks really good. And I really didn't believe that this was a contender heading into the playoffs at all. Um, at this point, 
it's really tough to bet against them. Um, this is a team that can that can really hit um, in a short series. They're very dangerous just because of the quality of uh, their frontline starters. Um, being able to, to to roll, you know, Nola um, Wheeler out there in a series. You know, it's uh, and Aaron Nola, by the way, is another one of these guys where. He was really he was excellent throughout the season and is truly an ace. And I think just doesn't get that, you know, sort of um, recognition in in the in the public space nationally. But he had an excellent season and, you know, their bullpen has been shaky throughout the season. It's actually been pretty solid in a lot of these games. Um, Now, granted, they haven't necessarily with this one. They didn't have a lot of high pressure situations or outs, but still. I'm a little shocked by this Phillies team, but maybe I shouldn't be because there's star power here. There's guys that can hit. And certainly they're as good at hitting the long ball as any team remaining in the playoffs. You know, it was interesting. We did our podcast uh, previewing the division series. And I mentioned it kind of briefly that, you know, the Phillies have played the Braves a little bit tough this year. And then after we got off the podcast and I started digging in and looking into it a little bit more for uh, the quick write-up I did uh, on the website, five uh, storylines to watch for the division series. I realized that the Phillies actually had a better chance than I think a lot of people in the public sphere were giving them. And the reason for that is just really diving into it. They played the Braves tough all year. The Braves won the season series 11 to eight but that's a lesser margin than what the Dodgers beat the Padres and the Astros beat the Mariners. And the Braves only outscored them by three runs the entire year, 88 to 85 over 19 games. And just looking at even though game by game, the Phillies have played the Braves tough all year. And now you get them when they're playing really, really well. And a game one was really the key. Uh, that was the other thing I looked at too, is Ranger Suarez, Zach Wheeler, and Aaron Nola specifically have pitched really well against the Braves all year. So you feel really good about the three guys rolling out there. This is a team that, yes, the Braves are the defending champions. They're the best team in baseball since June 1st, but the Phillies haven't had any issues with them. And that really was kind of driven home to me. And after I wrote them, like, you know, I think the Phillies actually have a chance here more so than maybe you would have just looking at it from the outside in before you pop open the hood. And then when they won game one and then Suarez to be clear was not super sharp. He really had trouble finding the strike zone, but the fact that they won that game and held on there with Nick Castellanos of all people making a highlight real catch, not something anyone would expect. That was when it was like, okay, now they're up one Oh, and they can go Wheeler Nola which again is as good of a one-two punch at the top of a rotation as any in baseball. And you're right. I don't know if it's always given the level of credit it should be, but yeah, those two guys are both bona fide aces. And now again, and get the Braves credit for, for coming back and, and taking one off Wheeler. That's not easy, uh, but going back to Philly, I mean, talk about electric atmospheres. I mean, when Reese Hoskins hit that homer, also, I love the emotion, you know, slamming the bat oh, down like man. he did. <laughs> He'd been slumping. I mean, Reese Hoskins, yeah. you have to remember, when he first came up, he was, you know, the greatest thing. I mean, it was unbelievable. Philly loved him, embraced him. And look, no one was going to keep up that historic pace that he did. And because he didn't, it almost felt like Philly's fans had kind of turned on him a bit. Like, he really... You know, to be fair, he wasn't great in 2019, but like he's mostly been, you know, a, a good player yeah. for a while. But because he wasn't 
you know, the guy popping a, a thousand OPS like he did those those 50 games at his debut, you know, people were kind of doubt on him. Like, yeah. oh, he's not that good. He's, you know, a second division starter. It's like, no, he's really good. Uh, but but he'd been slumping. He'd had some struggles. And, and again, just kind of his career arc in Philly. We all know how impatient Philly fans can be. Sure. From hero to, to man, we don't like this guy anymore. I mean, that all came out with that with that bat slam. I mean, that was, I think about one of the two coolest home run celebrations I can remember, you know, Jose Bautista against the Rangers in the playoffs. This might be number two. Yeah. That was just the energy, the emotion. It was incredible. And, yeah. and look, this is a, this is a good Phillies team that's super dangerous, you know, offensively. They have the starting pitching. And, you know, again, we've talked about it. This bullpen has been better. And again, I go back to one of the key things this year was the return of Sir Anthony Dominguez. That's really, really, really key. He's a really good pitcher. Having him back is going to improve your bullpen. You know, Jose Alvarado has had ridiculous stuff since he was with the Rays. Uh, he struggled a little bit with the Phillies last year. He's been back to form this year. He's been really, really good. You know, moving Zach Eflin to the pen's been interesting, but it's it's yeah. worked so far. I mean, this is not the Phillies bullpen of of years past. And I say years past, even just last yeah. one was historically bad. They're not great, but they're not horrible. Mm-hmm. You take an okay bullpen that has legitimate weapons with this rotation of this offense. They're dangerous, and we're seeing that. Um, mm-hmm. Phillies were in great shape. I I, I kind of yeah. went into this after doing the research, thinking, you know, they've got a shot, and and right now they're sitting pretty. And let's talk about this, too. We talked about this a little bit with the Dodgers series. The big bonus for the Phillies, from my perspective yesterday, was those three runs in the seventh inning because it put the game away. And what it allowed them to do is it allowed them to go to Brad Hand and um, to Connor Brogdon at the end of the game, as opposed to having to use their primary guys there. So they now go into the game today. They're playing in Philly. And we know, I'll argue this until I'm blue in the face. There's two towns where you can't mess with the crowds when they're plugged in. You can't mess with Boston and you can't mess with Philadelphia. Philadelphia is ruthless. They absolutely are worse than Boston. And it, and like, if you're playing there, I can only imagine the emotion. We saw it with Reese Hoskins. We saw it after the, after the Harper bomb, you know, these guys love their team. Uh, it's been a few years, uh, you know, since that Super Bowl. they're hungry for another title. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, a, a city that really rallies around their teams as well. I think in a, a similar way to Boston, it's a similar thing that's going on in San Diego. And I think you see it in Seattle right now too. Um, that belief rolling into this game, Cindergard, you have your bullpen guys ready to go. They got to be jacked up. I mean, they get an early, early lead today. That's going to be really tough for the Braves to come back from. And on top of it, they're set up strategically to put out the right guys there um, in the big spots. So you got to feel really good if, if you're a Phillies fan going into this game. I think the other thing I wanted to bring up about the Phillies that I maybe didn't necessarily give them enough credit on you look at this lineup and every single one of these guys gives a really difficult at bat almost right down the lineup Schwarber there's few guys in baseball they're going to take more pitches than Kyle Schwarber is he's going to make you work to get him out it's the same thing with Hoskins sure the batting average is low he hits a lot of fly balls this is another guy that gets on base at a high clip works at bats, gets deep in accounts, can punish you if you leave a mistake over the plate. Real Muto, we know how good he is. 
Bryce Harper, future Hall of Famer, um, you know, one of the best hitters in baseball, one of the best players in baseball over the last decade. Nick Castellanos, we know how good he is. And even Alec Baum, who hasn't been great in this series, sort of started to believe in himself a little bit more toward the end of the year. We know he can hit for contact. Marsh is another guy that works deep at bats. Segura can do things and move runners along if they need to. And it's the same with Bryson Stott, who actually was talking about this with Matt Eddy offline the other day. He had a really good second half. He hit 280 in the second half, got on base at a high clip. It seems like he figured some things out. This is a lineup that can beat you one through nine. And, you know, they're not giving away many at-bats. There's no Austin Hedges. No disrespect to Austin Hedges you got on base yesterday. But there's no Austin Hedges at the bottom of this lineup, really. You know, um, there's all guys right through here that have been guys that have hit throughout their careers at different levels. So it's a tough lineup to beat. And they can go toe-to-toe with the Braves. It wouldn't shock me if this team wins today. They have a legitimate shot to make the World Series. And I don't think I even imagined that coming in uh, to the playoffs. Didn't even cross my mind. I thought this was the easiest elimination. This team's not going to make the playoff. Excuse me, not going to make the World Series. There's a good shot. They, they're believing in themselves. They got the pitching. If the bullpen is executing, swear it they. Good luck, man. Yeah, no, they're playing well. You nailed it. Having their top bullpen arms available today is going to be huge. And we talked about Tony Gonsolin. You know, the Braves starting Spencer Strider, you know, it's a little different just because their other option is Charlie Morton, who is Charlie F and Morton. But look, he wasn't great this year. His ERA was over four. And that's where it's a different dynamic to me. Gonson versus Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson was one of the best sure. pitchers in baseball this year. The ERA in the two fives, you know, was just, you know, fantastic. But at the same time, it is a little risky taking a guy who, as good as Spencer Strider is, hasn't thrown since September 18th. Now it was October 14th, almost a full month, putting him in his you know his first postseason start on the road in a hostile environment. I think there is an argument to be made there. The Braves did not set him or themselves up for their best chance of success by doing that. At the same time, the difference between his quality and Morton's quality, I think, is where you can argue, okay, maybe it makes some sense, which wasn't the case with Gonsolin Anderson, given you know, Gonsolin's not even wasn't fully healthy and just super rusty. So uh, and, and Anderson just being so much better than Morton this year. But at the end of the day, I mean, Phillies have a shot. The Padres have a shot. They, these two teams would close it out today. A Padres-Phillies NLCS would be two fan bases where it's been a while. I mean, every game would just be an absolute zoo. And I, I'm here for it. I think it'd be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be a blast. Philly versus San Diego, like the amount of passion that would be there and just anger online i mean (laughs) you can say whichever you want we talked about fans in the stands i don't think there's anybody as dangerous any group of fans as dangerous on twitter as padres twitter man i I avoid saying negative things about the padres man because they'll get mad last year i didn't include josh mears in a in a in a top raw power hitters in the minors article and like i got 40 comments about not including mears (laughs) padres twitter is uh it's interesting. Really, over the last four or five years, it, it's transformed into a, an interesting place. Uh, my my friend and I, Dennis Lynn, talk about it often. Yeah, no, I uh, I think a lot of people have this weird view of San Diego as like this sleepy sports town. I think anyone who went to Chargers games, you know, in their heyday or has been at Peco uh, the last few nights or has spent enough time on Potter's Twitter's knows that is definitely not true. <laughs> Potter's Twitter could be vicious and, and Philly, like you said, they get behind their team as much as anyone. But We'll see. They still have to finish it off. We've seen a lot of teams come back from 2-0 and 2-1, and 
look, the Dodgers and Braves are the two best teams in baseball uh, since June 1st. So I think counting them out is foolish, but uh, both teams are sitting pretty. Jeff, I do want to ask you, sure. do you think we have both series can be closed out today? Do you think one of them gets closed out today or do you think we go to game five in both? Um, I think we're going to see a closeout in Philly today. Uh, I think we go to a game five with the Padres and Dodgers. Um, I think it will be a close game. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't want to count the Dodgers out just yet. Um, as much as I, I, I do want to see, I do want to see both these teams clinch because I think it would be interesting, but, uh, we need some baseball on Sunday too. So, I'm, I'm going to hope that they, that they don't close out <laughs> yeah. Astros Mariners that could close out. You know, we'll certainly have a Yankees guardians, but I want multiple games. You know, there's only so many more, more days of multiple games. Uh, so I want as many games as possible, but Phillies can close it out today and uh, we'll see what happens uh, with the Dodgers. But yeah. Any, what do you think? What are you thinking here before we close? I out? think Potter's going to close out today. Joe Musgrove right. pitching at home, Good. San Diego kid. Yeah, that's I think that this is a scenario where the Potters are going to close this out. I think Phillies Braves is going to be interesting. Part of me thinks there's no way the Braves are going to go down this easy. And I do think that gets to a game five. You know, we've talked about wild fan bases. Seattle hosting its first playoff game yeah. today since 2001. That is going to be absolutely epic. I really, really, really hope the Mariners could give them a win just to give them a win. Um, I, I still think the Astros are going to win this series, whether it's in you know three, four, five. Um, I think probably the series does end in Seattle, whether it's a sweep today or they win game four. But it'd be really cool to see the Mariners just give their 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 home crowd one postseason win. It's been a long time. They they've been waiting. We talk about Padres sure. having a home playoff game with fans since 06, Philly had been since uh, 2011. Mariners was 2001. I was in yeah. the, let's see, October 2001. I was in seventh grade. Where were you, Jeff? I was in college, man. I was a sophomore in college. Yeah, so it's it's been a while, but that's a game I'm really looking forward to. Uh, and then Yankees-Guardians, I, I think, honestly, when they, whoever wins this game three, I think wins the series. I, I, I try not to go too far with that, but sure. I mean, this is going to be a drag it out type of fight with these two teams, but I really think this is a pivotal matchup. You know, Tristan McKenzie, Luis Severino. I think if the Guardians can go out and win this one at home and take that two on edge and put the Yankees against the wall, I think that's what it's going to take. And I, I again, I, I think the Guardians are going to win this one in five, but I do think the winner today. I mean, this this is a key pivotal game right here in that series. Absolutely. All right. Uh, for me, I'm excited for the Kirby versus McCullers matchup. I think that is uh, the nighttime pitching matchup. Anderson Musgrove, we talked about that. It's great. I'm excited for this one. McCullers, Kirby, Kirby going, you know, in that first playoff game, gives him five innings. I mean, that could be six innings of quality. Could be really interesting. But all right, let's wrap this, this up. Uh, another Baseball America playoff podcast. Thanks for tuning in all. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. 
You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.